There is power, power, wonder-working power in the mic that I hold. Sorry about that. I had a 103 fever this week, and part of my brain was fried. <laughs> it is so good to see everybody this morning uh, on this cold, uh, yeah, wind chill morning. I just appreciate uh, those of you that are in the room, and uh, those of you that are online, just welcome. Uh, I did fact check the story about the rabbit while I was waiting to come up. As it turns out, the rabbit was injured, knocked out cold. Uh, when nobody was looking, made it back to his burrow. In the evening, snuck into the neighbor's yard and lives there now. And there's a new grandmother watching out over him. Just in case anybody was worried about the rabbit. I did fact check that story, Frank. I, it doesn't change it at all. But the rabbit's alive. Just saying. <laughs> Last week, we did start uh, this series that we're looking at the intentionality uh, in the book of Acts of the church as it began. Uh, what were they intentional about? What did they devote themselves to? And uh, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That's really great. To the breaking of bread and prayer, awesome, awesome. But to fellowship the Greek word koinia, and uh, not that that's important, but it gets translated into a couple of English words that help us understand what we're looking at, this beginning uh, of really devoting ourselves at, at, at uh, Harvest to a great culture that we have of community, but we want to strengthen that. We actually feel the Holy Spirit calling us, uh, part of the Let Them Have Ears uh, to Hear, Let Them Hear conference was what we heard was the Lord really saying to um, to really live in uh, this emphasis that he's given us. And so they devoted to sharing with each other, uh, and uh, they devoted to opening space into each other's lives for each other. And uh, that's very practical as we looked at last week. Uh, it can mean come a little bit early, stay a little bit later on a Sunday, and then graduate as you're comfortable to opening your home or meet in a coffee shop, but begin to open up practical space so that you don't just know the face, hey, you go to Harvest, know their name, and that's amazing, but begin to know each other's story. We talked about being devoted to communication so that we can find safe places to be fully known and yet still fully loved. Father, I just pray this morning that you'd help us as we continue this morning. Lord, really what we're doing is uh, not building a culture that's unique to us, but Lord, we're building New Testament church culture. Lord, what you prescribe for this church at the end of the age, uh, that you want us to shine brightly in the darkness of this world. And so, Lord, let us, let us hear today what the Holy Spirit is saying to the church in Jesus' name. And everyone said? Amen. So, John, the apostle who lays his head on Jesus at the Last Supper, when Jesus is giving the great uh, commandment, the new, uh, the, he's talking about the new covenant and the new commandment that you should love one another it changes John's life, and it changed all of their lives, but specifically we know it changed John's life because he writes about it later in his epistles, and he says this, 1 John chapter 4, he said, Dear friends, since God so loved us, so loved us, say so loved. It's just like he super loved us, <laughs> speaking in today's vernacular. He just loved us so much. 
I was connecting with that this morning as Ted was singing that final song uh, about the mercy and the grace. I should have been six feet under, you know, but, but what I deserved is the wrath of God, but what I, what I received instead, the grace of God, his love. Amen? Help me out this morning. I know there's a kind of this spirit of weariness, and, um, and uh, I know even myself, just a lot of, of sickness that we're enduring. I get that. I really do. Well, let's kind of push, try to push through some of that. You can help me preach, all right? I'll do a better job this morning. So loved. So loved? Thank you. We also ought to, we, we, we ought to or we should love one another. No one has ever seen God. So now he's going to switch gears to the doctrinal piece that we talked about last week. This changed him. This hit him. He understands it. He's now doctrinally laying this out uh, for us, theologically laying out what Jesus told them at the Last Supper. God so loved us. His love in us changes us. It flows through us. He said, no one has ever seen God. If, uh, but if we love one another, excuse me, no one has ever seen God. Until, of course, Jesus, the incarnate God, Jesus, God in the flesh came, and uh, people began to know who God was, what he was like, Jesus representing uh, heaven to earth. But if we love one another, God lives in us. So there it is. So if we love one another, Jesus in us, the incarnate Jesus now in his church, in his body, uh, his love is made complete, and there's a circle of love. And so the love of God into a human heart, a human heart now, uh, allowing that to express itself. As it expresses itself, there's a completion of love. As a uh, someone who doesn't know Jesus, hasn't met Jesus, doesn't know what Jesus is like, comes in contact with the Jesus in us, in this jar of clay that hasn't got it yet, hasn't figured it out yet, but there's a supernatural flow of love into me as I allow his love, as I receive his love into my life, it now flows out and touches, has capacity to touch another human being. And John said, as he understands that, there it is. There's the revelation. That's how people are going to come to Jesus, and, um, and, and, and we're going to see people en masse come in these days uh, to, know, to know Jesus as, as Lord and Savior. Because there's a church who loves the incarnation. Now, a lot of times when we talk about this, the challenge is we talk about hospitality or we talk about some of these practical steps, is that somehow we've got to love harder, we've got to do better, and, and like anything in our Christian life, it's, it's not going to, it's, it's supernatural, it's the grace of God, it's the love of God flowing through us, say through us. It's not us working harder at loving our neighbor or being more considerate or being more kind, all those those things we're being intentional about because if we don't do them, then the door of the flow can't open. But as we, in our uh, frailty, in, in, in our inabilities, in our, I don't even do this well, but I step out in faith for an opportunity to love another human being, it's his love with my love that flows and shines through them. As we devote ourselves to fellowship, koinia, something beautiful happens. We participate in his love that's made complete. So it's the completion of not the circle of life, but the circle of love as he loves us and we love others and love and, and, and so on and so on and so on. 
So let's keep going today. I want to talk about the, the phrase that's in the New Testament uh, um, that says one another, one another. We call it the one another's of how we're to treat one another, be with one another, pray for one another, a lot of one another's. And this morning, I want to focus in on one. We're going to get to one. Uh, if you didn't get notes today, I know there's been an opportunity, but uh, you really want these notes today. They're going to help you work through some things. So if you didn't get them, you can put your hand up now or wait for the end of the service and grab one on your way out, whatever you would like. We're going to look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 2. With all lowliness and gentleness, and I'm using the New King James on purpose, some of the language clumsy, and we're going we're to work with this. But I need the one another phrase so that it fits the one another's. With all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another, bearing with one another in love, always, uh, excuse me, so full stop. So we're going to talk about bearing with one another, bearing with one another. This is a way to love one another, the way Jesus told us to, as we're intentionally know a name, a face, a name, and then as we get to know each other and our stories, that's when we begin to open up space to find out that we're all not quite there yet. Tell your neighbor, I'm not quite there yet. Just take a minute, tell them, I'm not quite there yet. And then you can acknowledge that, yes, I already knew that, just like grandma. I'm going to bear with you. <laughs> all right, so let's pick up some of the language in the New Living Translation because I think it's going to help us. It says, always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. This Christ's love in us. Because of that love, we're going to bear with one another. Now, this one messed with me, so I hope it messes with you. And um, no, seriously, and I think it's, if, it, it's, if it rubs against it rubbed against my religious spirit, it'll probably rub against yours. Because as we begin to look into uh, what it means to love like Jesus does, it, it, I mean, religious spirits begin screaming out. Pharisaical, pharisaical tendencies expose themselves, and we all have them, as we'll see as we work through. And so the thought is, what's being said here, bearing with one another simply means, I'm just going to paraphrase it as we use this, Make space for someone else's weakness. Make space for someone else's weakness. We'll talk about what that weakness is, and it does include sin, by the way. That's one of the, but they're sinning. We should tell them they're sinning. Who's going to tell them they're in sin? Holy Spirit, super good at it. That's your job, by the way. Huh. Make space for someone else's weakness. This is not something that happens naturally, by the way, either. And so let me just talk about, um, first of all, what stands in the way. Uh, we start with the fact that uh, human, just the human reality works against this, that we would create space for somebody else's shortcomings, whatever that might be. The fact that somebody else has not arrived yet. Um, and what rubs against us is that we have expectations as human beings. Even in our marriages, think about it for a minute, we would expect that our spouse should treat us the way we want them to. We have an expectation that our spouse would treat us the way we want them to. In fact, 
We need them. I need Christina to treat me a certain way because that makes me happy. And when she fulfills my expectation, I'm a happy camper. And so it's not just that I have an expectation. It actually comes out of a need, and I need her to be a certain way, and that would make our marriage just go a lot happier and a lot better. And so you'll hear language like that, and you'll speak out language like that. My marriage would be just so much better if my spouse knew how to treat me. It's quiet now in the room. That's okay. That's a good quiet spot. I need her to respond a certain way. I'm coming home late. She has said and told me, you can't come home late tonight. Uh, you know I have this meeting at a certain time, and something super important happens, and I'm going to be coming home late, and I need her now not to be angry with me. I need her to understand that something very important came up, and so I'm going to come home and not allow her to be angry. I'm going to try to circumvent that because I don't want to really experience that. I need her to understand. Real life stuff, just, I just want to connect. Are we good? All right. We need our coworkers to understand us better so they'll treat us with more respect. I need to be respected at work. I need you to see it my way so that we can resolve this conflict. <laughs> and if you would just see my, no, you're not listening to me. No, you're not listening to me. You're not listening to me. You, if you would just listen to me and see it my way, I need the Tim Hortons person to get my order right today. I just do. If they would just get it right today. I need you to be my friend right now. And real friends, they would pick my side. And you would know that I'm right. And you would know that they're wrong. And in this dysfunctional triangulation that I'm going to try to pull you into, you need to be my friend right now and support me. It's not just that I'm venting and I'm, you're listening to my problem. I need you to pick my side. Say need. When we expect another person to fulfill what we think we need, but what we do in our dysfunction and our brokenness need, when we expect another human being to fulfill what we need, we will live disappointed. I'm setting up why it's hard to bear with one another. We've got to get that out of the way first. And so... Many of us live in a need-based kind of situation. And when we become, the good news is that we actually can trust somebody to fill what we need. And as a Christ follower, there has to be a major shift that we're not trying to pull from another human being what we can only get from God. And so many of us are trying to pull from our spouses and pull and we'll legitimize because we, there is a need. And there's a need kind of based Thing happening. And in a healthy situation, our spouses can fulfill certain needs, but not all needs. And so it needs to begin as we're a Christ follower that we understand this verse, and it is he who will supply. It is Jesus who will supply. Say, Jesus is my supply. Sort of good. Try again. It is Jesus who will supply. And it goes on, all your need. So everything that you need, even if it's a need that is not a healthy one, he can still help you and supply and help you move from this need base to be a, from a healed base. All your needs from his riches and glory, which means there's not a need he can't fill because of what 
Christ Jesus has done for us. So we're back to love and positioning ourselves to allow the love of Jesus. Some of us disqualify love because we don't think we deserve it. Some of you are disqualifying his love because you're still trying to do penance. Some of you disqualify his love because you don't think you're good enough. And so as we sing that song this morning about mercy, it's the mercy of God that loves us, not loves us to death, but loves us into life. It's his love that meets us where we are and begins to fill only what God can fill and fill it in a way that's a healthy way of filling our need buckets. It goes on by his, another verse, by his divine power. We could just stop right there. I mean, think about all the things that divine power does. It's, it's miraculous. God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. That does not mean it gives us everything to live a perfect life, because as far as I understand what the Scriptures teach, that we'll never on this side of heaven be perfect. But what we're doing is learning to live in his perfect love on this side. And perfect love casts out fear. And perfect love does so many amazing things in my life. And I'm growing in this life. I'm becoming more complete in this life. But I'm not perfect in this life. And so I will never be God. I will never be sinless. I will never have it all together. It will never be a fact that that happens. So what does it mean that we would be able to live a godly life. It means that our life would reflect his love. It means that my life would reflect his life. And that means that I do overcome, that I do, overgrow, I do overcome, and I do outgrow sin patterns. But it's, that's not, I stop sinning full stop. That's not the goal. My goal is to be loved by him. And then in being loved and received and accepted and understanding that, that I can live by his divine power, receive what I need, my need buckets become full and I'm becoming healed, and now I can represent him full circle of the love circle. It goes on. We have received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and his excellence. So our needs are filled by Jesus. John told us that God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. So as a Christ follower, I'm not dependent on another human. I'm dependent on Jesus for everything I need. He will supply. He is my supply. Paul said it this way. He said, Jesus spoke to Paul, changed Paul's life. He said, Jesus, Paul's got an area, a thorn in his flesh. We don't know what it was. He's trying to pray through it. Jesus says this, my grace is sufficient for you. In this area that you're wanting to come up in, I want to fill it instead with grace. I want to fill the need that you have with me. I want to fill your need bucket in this area with my grace. And it's more than enough. For my power is made perfect in weakness. So your weakness and my weakness actually becomes an opportunity. That's why fear of cynical Christianity, when there isn't an acknowledgement, when it's kind of the sense I've earned something, I finally have God's pleasure, I'm finally doing so well as a Christian, and we get into this pharisaical, I'm earning something, I've got, I got there, I'm there now. You don't have a need anymore. And now you're straining on your own power, and it becomes really awful uh, representation. But 
Grace is sufficient for you. Grace fills your need. Power now comes in your life. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness. I'm actually going to brag that my, I have a need bucket and I need to be filled, but I'm not going to go to you. I'm not going to my spouse. I'm going to go with my brokenness and this, this feels, I feel so needy in this area. I'm going to go to Jesus and I'm going to gladly boast so that Christ's power may rest on me. I'm going to make space for his power to come into my life. And that is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in my weakness. For when I am weak, I am strong. Because he makes an exchange, an exchange. So that's how we get our containers full. And that should have been a six-part series. But I'm just, I'm not, I'm not, how do we bear with one another? It starts with living a life full to the best of our ability, having a full life so that when we bear with one another, I can make space for your weakness. I can make space for your weakness. To bear with another literally means to put up, to put up with your shortcomings. I'm going to put up with you. And that's literally what it means. I'm going to put up with you. I'm going to put up with your shortcomings, your difficulty, and even your sin. I'm going to put up with it. Now, when I say it that way, that's where pharisaical Christianity loves to jump in. And this is where we get this verse wrong because we're going to look at the rest of the verse. There is an, there is an attitude in Christ that it must be done in. And so when we have kind of thought we've earned a great spot with God and, and we're kind of overcoming in all these areas, but we begin to kind of evaluate people who are not overcoming, they're in a different place in their journey, and they've been saved now for a year, and we're really quite certain that they shouldn't be doing that sin or that sin or that sin or that sin anymore. And when are they going to grow up? When's pastor going to preach a sermon that convicts them and talk about that it's really evil to do this or really evil to do that? And they'll hear about how evil that is, and then they'll be able to stop because they'll feel really shameful about their sin, and they'll be able to stop. Well, if it worked that way, it doesn't, by the way, long term. It never brings change. We would be a really religious church that keeps track of how many sins we've committed and how many we haven't committed. Our basis is... We want to create a New Testament space where people can come and actually change, say change. That the weakness actually gets exposed so that the love of God can come in and make a strong, a weak area strong. You tracking with me? All right. So this is where church often gets it wrong, and that's why I'm pausing here. Because we try to do the love of Jesus with a human attitude about it. We try to do the love of Jesus. It doesn't mean that if my need box is full, if my need boxes are full, that doesn't mean I can come with a superior attitude and go, hey, in my fully feeling so good in God today, and I'm here, and I recognize you're there, and I need to put up with your nonsense, and, and, and I need to put up with your shortcomings, and I need to put up with the fact that you're just taking way too long to grow, and it's really frustrating me, and I wish you would get over your addiction by now, and I don't know why you can't, and I did, I did, I was able to do it, I read those three scriptures, and it changed my life, so you should be able to read them, and it should change your life too, and so I want to fix you right now. Now, I'm going to love you with the love of the Lord. That's from last week. Thank you for the laughter. It means you actually put that together. 
And so some Christians are so judgmental. They know a face, they know a name, and they think it gives them the permission to mess with a person's story. Not your story. Not your story to change. It's not your story to change. We get so nervous when people are telling their story and where they're at, where they've been, where they are, and maybe where they're telling you where they're going. You get nervous because you know that, and I loved how Frankie was speaking over in prayer, speaking to destiny, which belongs to God. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. And sometimes the Lord reveals us so we can encourage. But that's not so we can get nervous and go, oh my goodness, they're off track. We need to tackle them down to the ground and, and, and do something about this. You can't change their story anyway. So we shouldn't be trying to change the story. Let's go back to the verse that tells us how to make space to bear with one another. To bear with one another. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other. Making allowance for each other's faults of your love. Let's start with humility. We sang this song today, and I just, I, I, I don't think the team knew fully where I was going this morning, but I just love that final song about the mercy of God. Paul said, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and then he pauses. He pauses in that declaration. He goes, by the way, I'm the worst one. I am the worst one. He didn't say I was the worst one when I was a murderer. He said, I am the worst of them all. He understand who he was apart from grace, apart from mercy, apart. You can't separate. We can't separate who and what we are from, from, you know, it's we are now who we are. The new life is because of his life, not because I'm doing good at being a Christian. I'm doing good as a Christian because of his life, because of his love, because he's loving me. He said, I was the worst of them all, but God had mercy on me so that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of his great patience with even the worst sinners. And then he says this, then others will realize that they too can believe in him and receive eternal life. And I hope you strongly can see the connection. His humility was this. He said, I, 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 let's just decide that I was the worst sinner. That way you can't be worse than me. I can't be worse than you. You, you, oh, you. When you got saved, you hadn't killed anybody yet. Oh, so you weren't as bad a sinner as me. Okay. And this religious nonsense that tries to compare how bad was your life. Um, you know, I got, I was, I got born again at eight years old. I used to hear people come to our drug addicts, come to our church and talk about their testimonies and they were powerful and they were wonderful and amazing. And I remember saying, I wish I had a testimony, meaning I wish I really had a bad sinful life so that I could really appreciate my salvation is what I was saying. And so I was mistaught that you had to be a really bad sinner to have a really good testimony. See, sin, I was born in sin. Doesn't matter what that sin nature made me do. <laughs> That's just a consequence of. I was born separated from God, eternally going to hell because I was born a sinner. I had sin nature, and only God could change my nature. Whether it was an eight year old nature or Paul, who's an adult and it was a murderous and followed through on the nature. So he says, let's just get this out of the way. That we just appreciate and realize that apart from him, yeah, I, I, I was lost. I was lost. And if somebody could understand 
that it's okay that your life is messed up because we're going to bear with you because God bore with me. He goes on to say, how do do we live out this humility? Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others as better than yourself. Don't look out for your own interests, but look out for the interests of others too. Humility is simply taking inventory of yourself. And if you'll be honest about it, you don't have it together, and either do I. Am I living a victorious Christian life and I'm enjoying being loved by him, having my need buckets filled up, learning how to be victorious, uh, um, overcoming the enemy, uh, uh, praying and, and doing these things as I'm growing? I enjoy all of that, but I can never lose sight that that never puts me in a posture with another person, whether they're not saved, whether they're newly saved, or whether they've been as saved as long as I have, but something isn't happening in their journey the way it happened in mine. It never gives me the position to stand over top of them and look down on them and say, I've, you, you know, let me help you up. It's always, I remember, I'll never forget. I'm not sure why you're in this place of your journey, but I'm journeying with you. I'm journeying with you. Because that's what Jesus did with me. That's humility. Gentleness. <laughs> so, Grandma didn't teach the grandson about being gentle with the rabbit. And so... We teach little kids when they first meet pets, don't we? And they meet a dog for the first time. And like sudden moves. And of course, we want to teach them that you can't make sudden moves, even with the best of dogs, because they don't understand little people. You know, no sudden moves. Right? We say, be gentle, be gentle, be gentle. And then they grab onto the dog's ear and they want to pull a little bit. No, 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 no. Be gentle, be gentle, be gentle. Gentleness with people. No sudden moves. No sudden moves. Why do we feel like we start to hear the story and we want to immediately go into fix-it mode? We want to immediately tell them how victorious they could be if they would just do this, this, and this. Before we even thought about or asking, have you done this, this, and this? And probably don't ask them if they've done this and this, if this is your first conversation with them. No sudden moves. Handle with care. Being gentle with people. Being patient. Their journey's not over. And I don't care where you meet somebody in their journey. Pre-Christian, new Christian, long-term Christian. The journey's not over. Why, when we listen and we hear what's happening in somebody's life, are we assuming that they're ready to jump off a cliff and destroy their life and their journey's over? Over, man. You're going you're gonna to disqualify yourself. You're just going to mess it all up. And patience is understanding that you're stepping into a moving mechanism that the Holy Spirit and heaven's been working with. And when you get involved with another person, how do we bear with one another? Understand as you're coming into their life, we are all in process. They are in process. You may not like or agree with or be in tune with the process, but the Holy Spirit is. And as we come along and just make space for where they are in their journey, what you're telling them is, and the best way you can encourage them is, I don't believe your journey's over. I don't believe you've disqualified yourself. I don't believe there's anything that can disqualify us from the love of God. Not height, nor depth, nor principalities, nor power, nor things present, nor things to come. I don't care what yesterday was about. I'm here to open my life and create some space for you to know. It's not disqualified. You're just getting started.
And all of a sudden, something happens. Why? Because they were loved with the same kind of love that God, and it's God's voice, and they're hearing, I'm not disqualified. One of my closest friends um, went through a failed marriage in the last three years. He spent his life in full-time ministry. As a result of the failed marriage, he stepped away from He's working and doing really well. I love him so much. I don't try to figure out. He never asked me to do an autopsy on his marriage. I don't do those things. Powerful minister in the gospel. Did I have questions? A million of them. I refrain from asking any of them. Once in a while, he'll, in a quiet moment, share with me some of that pain. Some of the autopsy that he is man that's seeking healing is doing through professional work and help. Oftentimes, like last Sunday, I'll be in worship, and the the Lord will just speak to me and say, encourage him today. He's not disqualified. Story's not over yet. Oh, yeah. Man has said that he'll never preach again, and, and, and some of his ministerial friends have turned their back on him because he should have known better. He's in deception. How can somebody come under such deception? My heart just cries out and says, if he's in deception, then why wouldn't we get around him and love him? It just makes space for the deception because I'd rather him be in my space than be in somebody else who's validating that, hey, forget, forget those people. They're not even loving you anymore. They've turned their back on you. People question my motives, question why I would do what I did. I should hold them to account. I should hold them. And, and the failed marriage was not sin-related. And, and that wouldn't even matter, but I just say that because it makes the accusations worse. It's because people that didn't understand the story just assumed his is over. He blew it. All I know that in God, it's a good story. And it has an amazing ending. And I'm going to keep telling him that. His responses often take days to come back. And they'll be short and just... I wept for hours. Thank you for believing in me today. I use that as an example simply because if if a person who knows, (laughs) how much more the person who doesn't? Patience. The journey's not over. The story hasn't ended. Stop treating people like their stories are over. new command I give you, love one another, as I've loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love. Today we're talking about just making space for one another's weakness, the cycle of love. I just want to say, and I, and I really do need to, and it's going to ch- potentially change what we're sensing and feeling right now, but I want to risk that because it's important, and that's this. You will meet people. It's a full circle. You will meet people that will demand that you give them space for this. They're broken, toxic. They don't know how to play nice with other people because of their brokenness. Um, they don't know how to come into a space. And so there are, you will, we will, we have met people in a very demanding demeanor, just rah, rah, like a little child just screaming out. 
demanding. They will try to steal space from you. That's not what I'm talking about. Because that person, that's where we put up boundaries, which is another sermon and another thought. And we learn to put up healthy boundaries because no one can take the space from you. They cannot take it, cannot steal it. And nor should you allow that to take place because that's not Christian love. It's called enabling and keeping really, really bad behavior going. That's not making space for someone. That, what I, this is not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about that, like this morning, if you're here right now and you're going, this is what I needed to hear this morning. Finally, the church will know how to make space for me. I deserve to be treated the way pastor is talking about today. If that's what you're hearing, respectfully, you need to start on the first point of this message and go to Jesus and get your need buckets filled. Because we're not here to fill your needs. That's not what I just said this morning. And I think you felt that. There's a shift in which that's not the focus. Our job isn't to go around filling needs. Our job is simply to be present. And when my need bucket is full in realization that I can begin creating spaces to bear with other people and give them space, and as they respectfully receive that, the love will come and they'll receive healing. That's a little clunky at first for some. I want to just to make sure we understand. People cannot demand this, steal this. It's given. Say given. So you're in complete control to give another person space. God's come back there. And what's what we do? And sometimes the, the boundaries are very, like the door is locked with 16 chains on it. You're not coming into my space to demand something of me. I would give it to you, but you're not taking it or stealing it. As we're in this moment, and it's, I know it just messed with me. This message just messed with me. Because the focus isn't the other person's weakness. It's just creating space for it and loving them where they are in that place, regardless. And then the Holy Spirit, because of that love, begins talking and challenging and doing all of his work. And as we get good at this, the world actually sees it. And Paul said, wow the world will actually believe they can get saved because they understand salvation is the reception of his love. God so loved the world. Not fulfilling the rule book. Every head bowed and every eye closed in this place. You're here this morning and you've never received that love. Maybe you're a religious person. Maybe you pray a lot. Maybe you read the Bible a lot. But I'm talking about a personal relationship with Jesus where you've received his love. You've known value because you put it together that he died for you. And if you've never received that, I want you desperately to receive that this morning. If you're online today, you can receive eternal life, Christ in you. The Bible says the hope of eternity, the hope of glory. If that's you today, you're sitting in this room, you've never received his love, or maybe it's a long, 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 long time since you've felt that. So today's the first time in a long time. 
to receive Jesus personally into your life. I'd like to invite you to do that. What I'm going to do is just ask you in a moment just to raise your hand. And your hand is your way of saying, yes, I want to today. And then we're, I'm going to lead you in a very short prayer. We're going to all pray it together. If you're online, you can text in right now and say, I'm making a decision today to receive Jesus. If you're in this room, you're making that decision right now. I'd like you to simply raise your hand wherever you're sitting. Just so I can see it, I'll acknowledge it. And then we're going to pray together. Is there someone today? Yes. So, uh, yes, thank you. Thank you. Someone else today. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> we get excited. Anyone else today that just says today's my day to receive salvation? Is there anyone else today? Online, just text it in. Harvest, let's pray this prayer together. Dear Jesus, I know that I am a sinner separated from you. But today, I receive the antidote to sin. Your forgiveness, your love, come into my life. Make me new. My story changes today. I live it out now with you. Amen. If you prayed that prayer for the first time from your heart, we believe you are born again. You've received that love. It's happened online. If you texted in the box, I'm making that decision. Let's stand to our feet this morning as we go today. Uh, let's sing this. Someone will dismiss you in a moment. May his favor be upon you and a thousand generations and your family and your children and their children and their children. May his favor be upon you and a thousand generations and your family and your children and their children and their children may his favor be upon you and a thousand generations and your family and your children and their children Thank you.